0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Any of y'all seen the Jesus Revolution movie? Have y'all seen it? Let me see your hands if you've seen it oh cool all right so good a lot of you have not the most the majority of you have not so i'm going to encourage you to go watch it. This is not a paid endorsement. Uh, They didn't like make all the pastors say this. Uh, We just uh, liked it so much. I I really liked it. It really rose to be one of my favorite movies. I'm not saying it's the best movie of all time. That's a few good men, but it's a a pretty good movie. All right. It's a pretty good movie. It's great. The, The content is amazing. The acting was really, really good. The production was good. And then there was a number of layers that I just really enjoyed it wasn't all like uh, a clean, like sterile version of the story. They, they, they really told some dynamics to the story where there were, where there were personal struggles with the, with the key characters. They weren't all made out to be perfect, right? And even some of the, the ways that it's going to flesh out later on in the story. So it's a historical drama. It's this, this idea of something that God did uh, uh, back a couple of decades ago where he used certain people to share the gospel and it really did spread across our country. In fact, if you've never even heard of uh, the the Jesus movement as like, um, it's not just the title of a movie. If it is only a title of a movie to you, you need to go watch this, all right? Uh, It'll really open your eyes to something that God has done and God will do again. He is willing and able to do again. But like I said, there's all of these layers to the story and I like that because they showed them, right? right. there was the, uh, the, the, the Greg Laurie part of the story, which to be honest with you, I didn't even really realize was a part of the story. I thought it was all gonna be about a dude named Lonnie. And um, I get there and it's, it's this really dynamic uh, story about uh, Greg Laurie. Then of course, there is the story about um, Lonnie and Chuck Smith and, and the way that God used them to share the gospel to so many people, um, so many hippies and so many of the younger generation at that time, even alludes to in these like, um, in these little moments in the movie, it alludes to these, uh, these times in which the two would, would split, their, their movements uh, would split. What they were a part of with Calvary Chapel and Vineyard Movement would uh, eventually go in different directions, and that's in there. It's, it's, it's alluded to in there, and I love that, that that, that part was in there. Furthermore, and, you know, it's in class, and they kind of make a lot of jokes about it, but drug use, um, the war, military advancement, that sort of stuff, and just a generation that was hurting, and what we now refer to as hippies, right? And all of that going together in this, in this soup of American culture and what God used to bring about a revival, to bring about life change in a community and in a culture. And so it's really cool to look back and to see the layers to the story in ways that the people in the story would not have even known at the time, right? It's not till much later that they look back and they begin to realize this sort of stuff. And, I, and I'm confident that you've experienced something like that before, right? There was something in your life, whether it's good or bad, a difficult experience, a really tough conversation, something that was real pivotal in your life and in your development, and you look back on it now, and you know a lot more now then you knew then, right? You knew that they were going through something and so they said what they said or you were going through something and they didn't know that. Or has, has this ever happened? This is a minor case. Has this ever happened to you? There's a, there's a fight, there's a disagreement, there's an, something gets upset. Later on, you cool down, you have a conversation. Have you ever been in a conversation that includes the phrase, oh, I thought you were saying X, Y, Z and you weren't, man, I'm sorry. Has that ever happened? To anybody other than me, right? I say that a lot, oh man, I, I'm sorry, right? Well, there's all of these layers that in the moment, we shouldn't feel too bad about it, you're finite, you can only know too many things. In the moment, you just don't know. In John chapter 12, 12th chapter of John, John is gonna write a story. He's looking back on this story and he's writing it and there are the, if he just wrote the story the way it happened, it'd be like two verses. But he, he includes all of these layers, all of these dynamics that don't matter at the time, but later looking back, really shed light on the story. Tell us what the meaning of the story is. And so it challenges us as we read back the story to see how those layers affect us and how they might layer into our lives and into our spiritual walk and into our pursuit of Jesus. Let's read the story. It's like I said, John chapter 12, verses one through eight. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus raised from the dead. Verse two, and so they gave a dinner for him there. They threw a party, it's a dinner party. And Martha was serving them and Lazarus, the one who was raised from the dead, was one of the people that were reclining at the table. There were a lot of people laying there with Jesus sitting around the table. And then Mary, which is Martha and Lazarus' sister, took a pound of perfume Pure and expensive nard and anointed Jesus' feet. A pound of perfume would be what a middle school boy smells like um, after, with some axe spray. <laughs> and then anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. And then one of the disciples, Judas scariot, who was about to betray him. That's the, this, this is the way John wrote it. Said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why does Judas know how much perfume sells for, you know? Verse six, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. The guy was a thief. He was a snake. And he was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it, of what was put into it. And then Jesus answered him, Leave her alone. Powerful words from Jesus, right? He just, he looks at Judas, the bully. I love this. He goes, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of burial, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always. Have me, Like I said, a lot of layers are in this story. A lot of things are being said that are not being said. There's a lot of looking back into the story and going, oh, I thought, but I'm sorry, right? One of the biggest layers that really frames out the story is Jesus' death. Now catch it. At the time, everyone at that dinner party did not know that Jesus was six days away from his murder. Six days away from a sacrifice. They, they didn't know this. They're just having dinner. They're having dinner party. This is their favorite food. This is their favorite people. This is, the, weather was like, the weather was like today. I, I'm assuming that, but it was like today. You know, it's just great weather. The doors are open. The windows are open. People are laughing, playing some football in the yard. All of that's going down right now. They don't know that in six days he's about to die. John writes in some clues to it. He tells you about a couple of things. Like when Jesus uh, pushes back on Judas and he says, listen, she kept this perfume to anoint me for my burial. Like that's a weird thing to say at a dinner party. Like I'm gonna die and I'm gonna smell good doing it, right? Um, he says that and it's this allusion to the burial. Also, there's just that fact that Jesus, or that, that John writes in there and says, this is six days before the Passover six days before the Passover. When you see that word Passover, you are as a biblical um, thinker, as a person who thinks deeply about the Bible, immediately that's gonna, that's gonna trigger you with some thoughts. The Passover is an ancient Jewish tradition in which the people of God celebrated God's deliverance from um, captivity his people were in captivity, they were in bondage, they were in slavery, they had this yoke that they could not bear, they were innocent and yet treated as though they were guilty. They were all um, caged up and God delivers them. God delivers them one night when he acts mightily and powerfully on their behalf. They sacrificed a lamb, each family sacrificed a lamb and that sacrificial lamb, the blood put over their doorpost said that this is a child of God. And he would free them out of this. And so when they're going to practice this in six days, they're going to slay a lamb. They're going to sacrifice the lamb. They're going to eat that lamb. It's going to be the sacrificial thing. And so when John includes, this is six days before the lamb is sacrificed. He's not talking about a sheep. He's talking about Christ. In six days he's going to be sacrificed. Jesus is going to die. It's not just any death, it's a sacrifice. There's another illusion that happens in the story that I think is is interesting. It's not just that he would die. It's not just that he is the sacrificial lamb, but that he will beat death. There's a tipping of the hat, a showing of the cards. He says, this is at Lazarus' house. Lazarus, you remember Lazarus? He's the one that Jesus raised from the dead. Six days he's going to die, but he's already beat death. He's already shown you that he can beat death. He will resurrect. Every time that Jesus interacts with death, it's not final. We think of death with finality. When somebody dies, they're gone. And that hurts. There's a separation there. When a relationship dies, it ends. It's over. It's gone. When a dream dies or a career dies, there's finality to it. It's over. It's gone. It's done. But when Jesus deals with death, It's the necessary step toward new life, real life, big life, full life, life, life. That's what Jesus is alluding to here. So John, way after Jesus has resurrected, way after Jesus has ascended, is looking back on this story and sort of trying to, uh, he's like winking at you. He's like saying, hey, there's something, more going on in the story, right? This is right before the lamb is sacrificed. Jesus already beats death. Jesus is talking about his burial. And then there's this other thing that Jesus said, and at the time we didn't understand, but listen, he says to Judas, you will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me with you. That's in verse eight. If I heard that, it would be like, um, it'd be like grandpa saying, you know, like, I'm not always gonna be here, so you need to learn to drive a stick, you know, something like that, or you know, something that he's just gonna pass on some sort of knowledge to you. He's not always gonna be here, he's gonna die. He's gonna go away one day. Well. That's how I would have heard Jesus saying that if I was sitting, you would, you would too. We would hear Jesus say it that way. But, but we know now, looking back, that Jesus is not saying one day I'm gonna die and I'm not gonna be with you. And what, he's, what he's saying is like, I'm going to ascend. I'm gonna go into heaven. I'm no longer gonna be physically with you. I'm gonna give you a good and a better gift. He's already told him that. I'm gonna give you a good and better gift, which is Holy Spirit. The context, the framing of what we are about to learn and what we are about to study is that Jesus will die He will beat death, he will resurrect, and then he will ascend into heaven. That's the context. That is good news. It's the gospel. What frames out this story is the gospel. It's good news for you and it's for me because he doesn't just do that for the fun of it. He does that for those who will trust him. The Bible says that if you trust in this story, if you trust in the reality of who Jesus is, that he did live a sinless life and that he was murdered, he was sacrificed like that lamb on the Passover and he takes away the sins of those who will be under the blood, then you too will be resurrected. You too will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. That's the context to the story. That's before we even get out the gate. That's what we're talking about. And so what I wanna do is different. Usually at the end of the service, we'll pray, we'll give you a chance to respond to that, but I wanna do that right now, right here in this moment. So you just sit back just a second, take a deep breath and answer this question. Have you ever personally responded to the gospel message? Have you ever made your own decision to trust Jesus? Do you believe that he died, that he was sacrificed, for your good and God's glory and then he resurrected if you haven't done that I want to pray for you I want to pray for you right now so I'm going to ask you everybody do whatever you do when you pray Jesus lifted his eyes towards heaven so you don't have to close your eyes but we can I'm going to close my eyes I'm going to pray for you and if you have never accepted Christ as your savior I want you to pray something similar to what I'm about to pray but you do it in your own words you talk to Jesus yourself Father God uh, I understand that I'm broken that I'm a sinner that like the like the Jews, I am captive to sin. I'm a slave to it. I try to beat it through discipline and doing my best and trying again and, and, and maybe a second chance. I try to listen to what my mama said. I try to, I try to do what I think the Bible says, but God, I am just broken. I am, I am caged up. And so I understand that you died to free me from this cage, to give me life. And so I trust you. I trust you right now with my soul, with my mind, with my body, with my future, with all of my potential and everything that I am. I understand that you forgive me. I understand that you love me and that you accept me. And so from this day forward, I live my life for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if this is the first time that you have made the decision, maybe you prayed that prayer a million times. But this is the first time you understood it. And you pray. After the service, I'd love to talk to you. If you're a college student, I'd love for you to talk to um, Donnie or Lucy. I'd love for you to, to share with somebody that you made that decision because nothing else matters past this unless you do that. Nothing else matters. So in the context of the gospel, people respond to Jesus. They respond to who he is and what he is and, and what he was about. They respond to this. So let's look at some of those responses, the way that they are reacting. What you see very clearly is this overwhelming sense, this fill the room kind of worship. It says, so they gave a dinner for him there. And Martha was serving them and Lazarus was sitting by him and Mary was sacrificing her perfume. That's what they say in 2 and 3. We, we wanna to jump to what Mary does and we should because that's what Judas gets upset about. That's really the highlight of the story. She stinks up the room. That's the most prominent story. But before we get to there, look at the other people. Martha, it says she served, she served other people. Now, I don't know if you've ever thrown a dinner party, but it takes a lot of work you got to make sure that there's plates and there's cups and there's napkins. you got to make sure that everybody brings a side. that everybody knows what time it starts. This isn't even at her house. It's at a friend's house that Jesus also healed. And so I'm thinking they were expecting too many people. They couldn't have it at Martha's house, so they went to somebody who had a bigger house, you know, that sort of stuff. And so there's all of this stuff going on. And Martha is the ringleader behind all of this. She's making sure everything's getting going. We all have a friend like that, or you might be that friend, that person that knows that all of the details are being taken care of. She is hospitable. She is serving other people. In my mind's eye, I can see her like, uh, like opening the back door to let the dog out while she's holding a baby, feeding it like um, green beans or something and pouring sweet tea for Peter over there. You know, this is just the way she is. She's the kind of person that just does not sit down. Does anybody know a person like that? You're having dinner and just, she's not gonna sit down. She's not, she's gonna make sure that everybody has what they need. Martha is hospitable, she is serving, she is loving. The Greek word there is that she is deaconing. So don't freak out and know you're Baptist. There's a lot of women in the Bible that were deacons and she's one of them, all right? She was deaconing, she was serving. She was serving the church, that's what the word means, that's what she was doing, that's what the position is. She is serving the church faithfully and lovingly and behind the scenes. Nobody's going to have her up on the stage. She's the kind of person that would rather die than stand on the stage and make a decision. She's a servant and she is worshiping Jesus, responding to who Jesus is. When she gets around Jesus, you know what she wants to do? Serve other people. She wants to love other people, she wants to serve Jesus. That's so what she does. It's worship. And then it says that Lazarus was sitting. I'm going to give you three S words. Martha served. Lazarus sat. All right? Isn't that just like a man? All right? The one guy in the story is just sitting there, you know? And that's kind of the way we look at it. It's like it says that Martha's over here serving. She's making tea. She's, she's she, you know, she's out there making sure that the, the, the pig is cooked or whatever, you know? And, the, and then Mary's doing Mary stuff. And then Lazarus just sitting there. You know, he's just sitting there, like death warmed over, literally, just sitting there, you know? (laughs) Lazarus doing nothing. The only thing I was laughing about, I was thinking about this, laughing to myself, but the only thing that Lazarus contributes to the story is that he dies, all right? He dies, Jesus heals him, and then he just sits there. And so there's something about our culture that really kind of looks at that and goes, Martha's servant, Mary's sacrificing, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well." Here's the the point. He was reclining, it says, with Jesus. And that makes all the difference in the world. We are so obsessed as a culture with like to-do list and vision casting. And this is all the stuff that we're going to do. This is what we're going to accomplish. We need to chart a course and make sure that everybody's on that course and make sure that we're all going in this big direction because it's all about what we accomplish. It's all about what I do. We do this so much to the point that we discount or disqualify or push down the idea that over and over in Scripture tells us to sit with Jesus. Sit yourself down and hush and listen to Jesus. See, Jesus isn't just sitting there eating. He's talking. He's telling stories. He's teaching. he's, He's preaching. He's explaining the Scriptures. And Lazarus is just soaking it all in. Every word he says, the way he says it, the way he tells stories, the way he tells punchlines, the way he explains Moses, the way he explains Psalms. Lazarus is just soaking all that in. Lazarus is worshiping at the feet of Jesus by just sitting there. We need to regularly, every day, take some time to just sit. It's one of the reasons that coming to church, coming to a worship gathering, is valuable. Because sometimes in your life, you need a regular discipline of, I'm not accomplishing anything. I'm not pushing the ball forward. I'm just sitting and listening to the words of Jesus. So he sits there. Martha serves. Lazarus sits. And then Mary sacrifices we can go into a lot of details about what it was that she sacrificed. We could talk about the perfume and the way that she um, broke open that perfume, what she would have probably used that for, we don't know, but the value of it and that sort of stuff. Just this morning, um, Ms. Morris brought me some spikenard that's what this stuff is it's a it's a certain oil it's a certain um fragrance to it and I was smelling it I've got it back here in the green room I was smelling and I was listening she's telling me all about the benefits of it and how much it costs and all this stuff. and the whole time I'm just sitting there sniffing this stuff while she's talking to me you know because that's not weird but you brought me an oil and so I'm just going to sit here and smell it and then at the end she goes oh also it's a sedative you know and I'm like I gotta preach three times here and you just sedated me you know but I smelled it. It smelled good. It was it was strong, it was it was bold. It was it was this good smell. And I have to admit, all right, um, I felt a little sedated. You know, I kept smelling that stuff. I smelled just a minute ago. <laughs> this oil. That, but the we can talk about all the details, right? We can go all essential oil on you or all ancient tradition on you. We can do that. But the reality is that the main point is that she made a sacrifice. And it was an expensive, emotional, personal sacrifice. It was financial, y'all. She made a financial sacrifice for the gospel. And a lot of times churches and people that go to churches, we don't like to, we don't want the preacher to talk about money. Don't talk about money. Money is my area. Religion is over here. Politics is right here. Money is right here. Gender and sexuality is right here. You can talk about this, all right? That's what we want, whatever. I'm going to talk about this. Money means a lot to our lives. It influences a ton of what we do and our desires and the way we are. Listen, we need to get a biblical perspective of money, which means this. It's all God's anyways. You're just borrowing it. And when you're gone, you ain't taking none of it with you. So sacrifice, give it. The way that we often kind of figure out our finances are, you know, like this is my home, this is my utilities, this is my boat payment, my truck payment, this is our recreational, this is um, date night, and this is clothing, and then I've got this much left over. Well, I'm gonna be a good steward, cut it in half, put this in savings, and put this to Jesus. That's not a biblical standard of, of money. Biblical standard of money is you start with Jesus, you start with the mission and the ministry of Christ through your local church and you give sacrificially. You say, here's everything I can give plus a little bit more, and God will take care of the rest. That's, that's biblical stewardship. And now for some of you, it might be like a dollar, a dollar a week. And you feel like, man, I, this, is, this is a worthless gift. There are literally stories in the Bible about how that's not a worthless gift, okay? That there, it's just like that's, you just give what you can give. For some of you, it's $10,000 a week. The amount doesn't matter. The sacrifice is what matters. Three responses to Jesus, who he is. He just walks in the room. He's healing people. They're having dinner. And there are three ways that people respond to Jesus. One is they serve other people. One is that they just sit at the feet and listen to what he has to say. And another one is they sacrifice everything for the gospel's sake. And it says that that the fragrance filled the room. I can imagine that happening that little tiny bottle that miss Morse gave me it just it was enough to be strong but if i broke open a pound of that stuff it would fill this whole room but i think there's some symbolism in there i think there's some symbolism that's going on in the story listen it's not just that the smell filled the room but picture can you picture this story can you feel what's going on in this moment this is a dinner party this is This is friends, this is family, this is people who weep together when somebody dies. This is people who love one another. And they're sitting around a table and there are children running off this way. And and that one kid that's not ever disciplined. And then there's that, that, that dog that won't hush. And this one over here trying to get some food off of the table, right? The doors and the windows are open because it's such a great day. There's the clanging of plates and the smell of your favorite dishes. There's the ceasing and the quietness when Jesus tells a story, and the roar of laughter when Peter makes some sort of um, insensitive comment. You know that's going on in the middle of that. There's the confusion and the stories that are going on over here, and there's there's all this noise and there's all this love and there's all this joy. There's all this worship, and it just fills the room. You ever been to something like that? You ever participate in something like that? You know that like when we come together as, as a worship service and we're singing songs and we're, we're supposed to be like that. It's not a concert. It's not a TED talk. It's not a professor at a university. This is, this is worship. So we participate and we laugh. We joke. We, we celebrate. We cry. We sing songs loud. Even if we don't know all the words, we sing it with everything we have because we're participating in this. And that fills the room there's the service and the sitting and the sacrifice but then there was this other this other comment that's made judas in the midst of all of that he says really kind of boldly this statement why wasn't this given to the poor and so remember they don't know everything that we know they don't know what is about to happen for us Judas is this dark, sinister character, like over in the corner, like Jafar from the Aladdin movie. you know, And he's like, oh, he's about to do something evil, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That's the way that we would picture, uh, I almost said Jafar, but Judas. That's the way that we would picture Judas. But Judas is right up in the middle of it. Judas is one of the 12. Judas was trusted. Judas was respected. They liked him. He was one of them, he was their boy kind of dark sometimes but fun and he liked to hang out with him you know all that kind of stuff he had the money apparently jesus trusted him right from everybody else's perspective they're looking at this situation going this guy listen judas at this dinner party would have been one of the most respected influential people he had position he had power and so when he speaks they're not looking at that like oh you're doing something wrong they're looking at that like you know what He's right. If I titled sermons, which I don't, but if I titled sermons, I would call this one, Judas wasn't entirely wrong. He says, we could have sold that. We could have sold all that and we could have made like 300 denarii, which is like a year's worth of wages. We could have made a year's worth of wages and given it to the poor. That's what he says. He's, he's so bold and I think a lot of people would have stand over there and go, oh, I mean, you know, he's right. I mean, he's a key person in our little group around here. So we should, we should listen to him. He's right, that kind of idea. But there's much more going on to it. There's this, there's that illusion. That's where John, he like says off to say, this guy's a thief, he's a snake. Don't listen to anything, he says. He doesn't actually care about the poor. You see what he's doing here? He's the first to talk. The only one in the story besides Jesus that talks is Judas. And I'm gonna tell you this, and you've probably seen this yourself. I think we would all agree with this. Usually, The ones complaining the loudest are doing the least. All right? You know why Martha's not complaining? Cause she's busy serving. When you're serving, when you're sacrificing, when you're listening to what Jesus says, you ain't got no time to complain. And often your complaints in the light of what's going on in the scriptures and in the church and in the work and what God is doing in your life, pale in comparison. Just a minor thing. Just a minor thing. Like I said, not always. Not all complaints are that way at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that usually those who complain the first and the loudest are the ones that are serving the least. And he's using these religious terms, these religious things, right? He says, um, why, why don't we give this to the poor? In the Jewish faith, there were three pillars to their faith, and one of them was alms. Y'all remember the old animated Robin Hood movie? Robin Hood and Little John walking through. Y'all remember that? The bear and the fox, um, and uh, there's this part where Robin Hood—he's he's dressed like a like a, like a poor person—and he goes, "Alms to alms the poor." Y'all remember that? Remember that? Anybody? No, just me. All right, watch the movie, *Jesus Revolution* and the old Robin Hood. All right, and um, that's what as a kid—that's where I learned what alms means. It means provide a, a donation directly to the poor. All right, and that's what Judas is like. We're supposed to be giving to the poor. We're not supposed to be putting perfume all over the ground. That's not what we do. We do this. He's using these religious terms to cover. He's saying the right things. I mean, is he wrong? They could have sold that. And they could have. It's an option. He's not wrong. It's just what we find out through John and Jesus' response. is that's not real, he didn't care about the poor. There's a lot of times when people will use religion and faith and religious words to cover up what they're actually after. He said he looks so valiant, so pious, caring for the poor. is real, But in reality, what he wanted was something for himself. What he actually cared about was this faith, this whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing that we're doing. I'm cool with it so long as I benefit from it so long as it's really about me and mine and my own. That's, that's what I really want, that's what Judas says. How disgusting is it to find out that Judas is gonna use the plight of those who can't afford to eat, those who don't have a home, those who can't provide for themselves, those who are really actually in need. He's gonna use their name to steal from them. How does, that's why John, I don't think John can even help himself. And he writes in those words, dude was a snake. He was a thief. He was a thief. We found out later. I, I, I picture that after Judas kills himself, that they go back through the books and they're all looking at stuff and go, he's been doing this the whole time. He's been, he, was a, he was such a thief. We all respected him. He had a seat at the table. He saw the miracles. He took the money, smiled, gave a little bit to them and then put the rest in his pocket, what a, what a thief. The reality is that a lot of times people will use, or sometimes, maybe not a lot of times, but sometimes the complainers, the people who use religious terms, they're just hiding their own selfishness. What they actually want is just to serve themselves. And Jesus responds to this. We see two ways to respond to the person of Jesus. There is selfless worship, or there is self-worship. Jesus responds to their responses, and he pretty much, leave her alone. The burial thing, we already talked about that. And then he says that phrase, like you're always gonna have the poor, but you're not always gonna have me. This is one of those Jesus phrases that makes me go, Jesus, you should have worded that differently. It sounds like you don't care about the poor and that's not what he's saying. And Jesus doesn't have to word things differently. He's Jesus, all right? I need to understand differently. What he's not, he's not saying don't care for the poor. He's, He's do care for the poor. That's absolutely the point. One way that helped me understand it was writing it out this way. You can care for the poor your whole life and die and go to hell. You can feed all the poor people you want to and if you don't tell them about Jesus and they don't respond to the gospel message, they will die and go to hell. So care for the poor, love the poor, share the gospel, live the gospel, but it's about Jesus. The priority in your life, in everything that you do is about Jesus. Whether you know, you're just serving other people, sitting around listening to Jesus, sacrificing for the good, of it's about Jesus. Jesus says, leave her alone. Such powerful words. And I'll just say this real quickly. I love this because it's a layer in the story. It's one of the layers. Jesus suffers no bullies. He does not put up with people picking on people that are weaker than them at all. You see it over and over in John. When the religious people kicked out the blind guy, the formerly blind guy, Jesus it says, and he found him. He went out and found him like a lost sheep, like a lost coin, like a lost son. He went out and found him and comforted him. And then it's like he puts that, that man behind his back and he looks straight at those guys and he says, we ain't having that no more. You ain't doing that. Judas, with all of his position and his power, he picks on Mary and Jesus says, leave her alone. Stop. I love that. Why doesn't Why doesn't Judas say something about Martha? He could have been like, "Hey, oh, why are you serving all of us? You should be out serving the poor people. Take all this food and sweet tea and all that kind of stuff and take it out to the poor people. They they need it. You know." He doesn't pick on Martha, right? Because he was eating. He he liked that kind of stuff. Also, Martha really strikes me as the kind of woman you don't want to cross in the middle of a dinner party, right? I mean, I don't know a lot about her, but I'm thinking still magnolia when I'm thinking about Martha, right? She will cut you. And then he doesn't say anything to Lazarus. He doesn't say, hey, you're like pretty much famous now. Let's take you out. We can raise some money. If you just walk through the poor village, if you just walk through, the, it'll really encourage. You. we'll do like a princess die thing, you know? And everybody will be really encouraged by this and we can help them. You're listening to the stories of Jesus, listen to the stories of the poor. He doesn't say that. He doesn't do that towards Martha. He doesn't do that towards Lazarus. I'm just guessing here because I think what it was, was she was the easy target. She's the youngest. She's a woman. She's easy to pick on, and that's what bullies do. And I love how Jesus just steps in the middle of that and goes, stop, leave her alone. And as for you, blah. I love that. I'll be real honest with you. And I know this is broadcast. We need more people in the Southern Baptist Convention that will stand up and say those words. Leave her alone. She's not doing anything wrong. It's not about you. We need more people in our workplaces We need more people in our homes and in our communities that whether it's a her or a him, whoever the weakest is, whoever the the beat up is, whoever the outcast is, we need people who won't just walk by. We need people who will not just film it and post it on TikTok later. We need people that will put down their camera, put down their pride and step in between the bully and the weaker and say, stop, leave her alone. Come at me if you want to. I'm not afraid of it. Leave her alone. I love that about Jesus, right? He's pretty cool in that way. And so here's this story in which Jesus is being Jesus. People respond to him. And it really leaves us with that question, how are you going to respond to him? How are you going to respond to him? Are you sitting with him? Are you serving? Are you sacrificing every day? Do you spend some time with Jesus? We like, you know, we're to-do list people. And so... And I'm not faulting it. Maybe this is what you do, and it's a good step toward the right direction. But if it's just a to do list, I got to pray, Dear Jesus, help my day. I got to read a Bible verse. This one's good. He's proud of me. And then I got to go on and, you know, like make coffee and get the dog out, you know, all that kind of stuff. You go all through your to do list, that's good. But sometimes we just need to sit and listen. Just read the text and say, Jesus, what are you teaching me? Read the story, journal it out, pray it out, going, What are you teaching me? If you have to get up earlier to do this, get up earlier. If you have to stay up later to do this, stay up later. If you don't watch another episode on Netflix, you only watch one and then you do this, do this. Sit and listen to Jesus. And then we need to sacrifice. We need to serve behind the scenes sort of service. This church, we have a million ways that you can serve. A million of them and almost all of them are behind the scenes. And that's a good, that's the way it should be. We desperately need more people to serve in the children's ministry. To care for children, something like that. You might say, well, I don't know. This is not really fulfilling to me. Perfect. That's what Christian service is like, all right? It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And it's so much more fulfilling when you serve people who cannot give you anything back. They can't. Those children, they can't give you anything. They might smile and that's great. And they will do that occasionally. <laughs> but largely they stink and cry, all right? And you need to serve them. Why do we need to serve them? Because their parents are in this room right now. You're sitting next to one another. You benefit from that. If you have a child, you should be serving in the ministry on rotation, not all the time, but on rotation. You sit out here and then you go and help other people. So other people can hear the gospel message on and on. There's a bunch of things to do. Make coffee. I don't, tons of stuff, tons of stuff to do. Find a place to serve and then sacrifice. You give what you can a little bit more for the good of the gospel. I imagine it is a possibility that you might be living your life not sitting with Jesus, not serving others, and not sacrificing. And you are also not being self-centered, not living your life as if the faith is about you. I imagine you could be right here. Not about others, not about yourself. It's a possibility. I've just never seen it. You're usually one or the other. It's about others or it's about you. And so I wanna encourage you to look in your own heart, look in your own life and realize if you're not serving others, sitting with Jesus, sacrificing for the gospel and the good of others, there's a good chance that you are living your faith for yourself. That movie, Jesus Revolution, again, I liked it. And I I will just kind of talk too much about it right now. I just saw it. I like it a lot. I hope you go see it. Um, and I liked the characters too. I liked the Greg Laurie story. Like I said, I didn't know so much of it was gonna be about him, but I thought that was really cool. Guy's still alive, he's still, he's still serving, he's still preaching. That's neat to see that. It's like, wow, he was there, he was part of that. So I liked all of that. I liked the characters. I thought um, all the actors and the actresses did a really great job, really drew me into the story. But there was one in particular that I really liked that I just don't think made, he didn't get enough credit. He didn't get enough credit. There's, there's this one dude in the movie who has this one key role. All he does in the whole movie is during one of the worship services, you have all the religious people, all the church people over here, and you have all the hippies over here. And it's not very big yet. The movement hasn't started yet or anything like this. This one old dude stands up, walks across the aisle, and sits with the hippies. I like that guy. I looked and Googled and Googled and Googled and Googled. I can't find the actor's name or the character's name. He's not even listed as the rest of the cast. I was expecting on some list, there would be dude who walked across the aisle, Jim from, you know, Saskatchewan or something, you know, it just wasn't there. It wasn't there. He's not named at all. And he has two lines in the whole movie, two lines in the whole movie. One of his lines is they're staining the new shag carpet. And all right, pastor, Let's begin. There's so much excitement in the movie that I think we lose that point. It's almost like a tipping point. When in that scene, there's those who had been there forever, and the hippies. Two men stand up. One walks out the back door. And it's heartbreaking, but that's reality. Sometimes when God is moving, people are coming to Christ, more people are coming in, lives are being changed, but things are different, and so they don't like it. And they sadly, regretfully walk away from it. And that's sad, that's the reality of it. But then there are those who walk across the aisle and sit with the hippies. And he says, all right, pastor, let's begin. Everything changed after that moment. I don't know what the guy's name is, but I know, That in the story, he sits, he sacrifices, and he serves others. I know that. So again, I don't know what his name is. So I've decided to name him Lazarus. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.